episode 007, Sleep for Performance Radio, with Nathan from the Western Bulldogs. Episode 007, Sleep for Performance Radio. Today I'm speaking with Nathan Pitchford. Uh, this interview was conducted in Essen in Germany a few months ago when we were attending the European Sports Conference. This was a quite sizable conference where nearly 2,000 people, I think, or maybe in excess of 2,000 people attended it. And I managed to grab a hole of Nathan for an hour where we grabbed a coffee and sat underneath a, a tree across the road to have a chat about the work that he's been doing here in Australia with the Australian Rules football team, the Western Bulldogs. For those of you who are not familiar with um, Australian Rules football, it's a kind of a hybrid between Gaelic football out of Ireland and probably rugby. That's probably the easiest way to describe it. It's quite a physical game and um, quite tough on the body. It involves travel around Australia and probably a game each week and sometimes only a quick recovery with a few days in between games. This team that Nathan works with in the last couple of years as part of his PhD thesis was also recently the championship team here in Australia in a highly competitive um, Australian Rules Football League competition. So Nathan is working with some high quality elite level athletes. In this episode you'll hear about Nathan's research, um, some of the things that he's found around napping and the relationship possibly with performance. And uh, before we get into the episode, I would like to make a small appeal once again for our Kickstarter. Um, we're only about 15% towards our goal. We just need to reach $1,000, it's not much, and we'll use that equipment then to improve the sound. Um, this will really help with the podcast in future episodes. So if you have anything at all, guys, if you wish to go over there and donate, that'd be much appreciated. If you've got some extra cash and you're interested, the Western Force have a signed jersey there as well that you can that you can get. You could also even get a lunch with David Wessels, who used to be, or may not be, or may be the coach of the Western Force, depending on what happens or any last-ditch appeals at the Western Force. So um, in the coming months, when Dave was on the last episode, so please head over there to our Kickstarter campaign and have a look and see if anything um, is of interest to you. All the links for this will be in the show notes. Okay, we'll get into the episode. Okay, episode seven. Back under this tree again that I was in Essen yesterday. So recording a few episodes here. The first thing I want to talk about, Nathan, is something selfish. I want to talk about dress codes at, at conferences. <laughs> The first day I got to this conference, I was in a shirt and a pair of pants at a sports conference. I was way overdressed. The next day I came in jeans and a t-shirt. I was still way overdressed. And today I'm in a polo shirt and a pair of shorts. And I'm still slightly overdressed. Tomorrow is the last day and I'm presenting. So I may be naked by the time it comes around to tomorrow. So, a little bit interesting. What's your take on uh, conference dresses? Yeah, well from my point of view, uh, it's relative to the location. You often find a lot of the hot locations bring out the uh, the less clothes is uh, better rule. Uh, I'm not sure about your clothing is optional rule for tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't roll that one, but I mean each to their own. Um, personally, I've got a little bit smartened up today. I've got the slacks and the shoes and the shirt on today uh, for the presentation, but uh, I've been a jeans and t-shirt man for most of the, most of my conferences. I think if you look, you know, smart smart casual, and probably for me, I'm probably more towards the, the casual end of it, but. Um, I definitely don't think sleeves are optional. I think, I think sleeves are compulsory, or at least half sleeves. 
well we're going to have somebody else in the podcast that hates sleeves Reid and we'll talk to Reid about his sleeves later on but more importantly about conference dresses uh, the reason I had Nathan on the podcast today is as you can tell Nathan is from Australia um, and Nathan works um, with the Western Bulldogs which is an elite AFL team Australian rules football in Australia based in Melbourne and Nathan's PhD is on the area of uh, sleep and performance and more importantly around sort of using sleep strategically to improve performance. Nathan has just presented his talk um, at the European um, College for Sports Science conference here in Essen uh, only about a half an hour ago and it was an excellent talk. I, for me it was the highlight of that, of that session, the four talks, probably a bit biased obviously with the sleep but it was a well presented presentation, it was really good. So I'm going to kick it off here Nathan and ask you, can you just give a brief overview of your PhD and the kind of aims and goals of it? Thanks very much for the uh, the kind words. Um, yeah, so my current position with the Western Bulldogs is a co-funded position between Victoria University and the Western Bulldogs, and it's a PhD position that allows me to work within the sports science department of the Western Bulldogs. Um, basically, my PhD is aimed at, I guess, I mean, if you, you look at the title, it's uncovering the role of sleep in training, performance, and recovery. Um, I guess what we've done is we tried to, to classify the sleep and get a better understanding of how athletes sleep during their normal home environment and then when they're exposed to a paper I had published last year we we took them on camp and just purely that change in environment and how that modified their sleep. We've gone on to look at it during in-season and pre-season training periods and in relation to training load which I think is a really important missing factor in the the sleep literature at the moment Uh, and it's Heidi Thornton's recently done some work around training load and and sleep Uh, however she's looking at rugby league athletes and for those of you who aren't aware that there are vast differences between rugby league and AFL, um, one collision sport isn't isn't necessarily equal to the other collision sport. Um, so since we've classified the, the sleep, I guess, of the athletes we're working with, we now want to know well, what interventions are actually going to work to help these guys recover or to help these guys improve their athletic performance. And that's currently what we're working on now. So, so, so one question, Nathan, that people would ask is, how many hours do elite athletes get for sleep? Because some people might think they're sleeping 10, 11, 12 hours. What, what have you found so far in the number of hours to get per night on average? Yeah, yeah, very variable, High, highly variable. And as I mentioned, it really does depend on all those other factors. Post-game, um, I think it's been shown by quite a number of studies across a wide, wide range of sports now is that post-game, even whether it's night or day, the guys just don't sleep. Whether it's pain-related, whether it's... Um, hormonally related, whether it's just pure uh, cognitive excitement or arousal, there's so many factors that could go into it. It could be the opposite. It could be pure disappointment from a poor game. Yeah, ergogenic effects of caffeine, that you know, the lifespan of the half-life of caffeine lasting for a little bit longer than, than the matches that they compete in. All those factors are, are going to play a role in post-match sleep. So what we generally find is that, especially in, in our guys, they're pr- sort of pre-loading their sleep. They'll sleep for, some of them will be up to 10 hours in bed the night before a game. And then after a game, they'll be down to, uh, anecdotally, and in some of the research we've done, we've seen as low as four hours in bed after a match. Um, and then in the, the nights following, they sort of return back to their baseline. They don't, they're not actually superseding it, so they're not really repaying any of the sleep debt that they've developed post-match. They just sort of go back into a normal rhythm. And most of our guys are between that sort of, they range from six to eight hours in bed, usually, some of our guys. Uh, that's that's really interesting. We we found similar things in rugby union as well. Is that sort of in the days leading up to the game, they're strategically optimising sleep, you know, in preparation for it. But after the game, it's like all oh, bets are off. We're down to like zero for some guys, you know. And particularly if there's travel the next day in rugby. 
But interesting enough on your point about AFL and rugby league, um, speaking to Vince Kelly today, we actually didn't find similar things to rugby league. And you would think that rugby league and rugby union would be very similar, but there's actually more similarities that I've seen in literature, and although there's not many papers out there, there is more similarities between rugby union and AFL, which is quite quite interesting but um yeah this is kind of a side comment on that so nathan your 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 focus of your phd and some of the the papers can you kind of or your studies can you break them down into like you know kind of top four studies or kind of just give us a, a quick overview of of those studies that you've you've completed around sort of the background which you've explained yes yeah, so at the moment i'm lucky enough to sort of be working on five different studies uh throughout my phd uh the first three were based with the the club and actually looking at the sleep of elite athletes um, we tried to classify the change in environment, and that's already been published, luckily. Um, I'm currently working on another couple of projects in and around season phase, changes in season phase and how that influences sleep, and then also looking at the influence of training load on subsequent sleep, and uh, looking at both from acute and a chronic type uh, relationship. Now, I'm not saying it's acute chronic workload ratios, like the, the Gabbard work that's come out recently. It's more about accumulative type chronic sleep load. Um, then we've moved into the lab, and we've, we've taken the information and we've designed some studies around extending sleep and different methods of extending sleep and how that influences uh, post-exercise recovery. So we've busted a few guys up with some pretty tough exercise on the treadmill and I, I can test, testify to that, it's, it's not much fun. Yeah. Um, and then just modified the amount of sleep they get in the, the days following to see whether that has a beneficial influence on markers of recovery such as blood-based inflammatory markers or whether we're looking at central nervous system uh, function and neuro, neuromuscular function as well. So how, how, how do you test some of those things? Like how do you test neuromuscular function or how do you test the effect of sleep on their performance? What's, what's some of the kind of performance testing that you've been doing? The, the performance testing that we've been doing is more around sprint performance and aerobic performance. So sort of like anaerobic and aerobic performance in, in a way. They're, they're pretty basic measures. We've looked at 20 meter sprint performance as a measure of the ability to produce maximal acceleration over a short period of time. Yeah. So that's a high amount of sort of muscle recruitment. And it's sort of, you're stressing the whole system to produce force to accelerate and to sprint. We've also looked at aerobic performance in and around the yo-yo intermittent recovery test and their ability to just repeated effort after repeated effort, which is quite similar, and we've chosen that because it sort of replicates the running demands to a certain degree, obviously not not just like replicating a match, but similar degree of uh, stress, I suppose. So some, some people may not be familiar with the yo-yo test, Nathan. Can you, can you explain what the yo-yo test is? Because it's not actually a yo-yo that we had in the 80s. You probably don't remember that, but I do, because <laughs> I think I hit myself in the head with it about 15 times and then, then threw it in the bin. But, so what is the yo-yo test? No, I had, I had a yo-yo. I'm an 80s child. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically the yo-yo test is, it's a 40-metre shuttle, so it's 20 metres turn, 20 metres return, yeah. and then you've got to make it to a certain speed, so it's like the beep test in a way that oh, it yeah, beeps yeah. at the turn and beeps when you have to complete, and then you've got this, um, it's like a 5-metre turnaround zone, and you've got 10 seconds to rest, and then you do another 40-meter shuttle. Yeah. And those 40-meter shuttles are incremental in that very, very similar to the beep test, except this time it's adding in a period of rest to make it intermittent rather than a continuous incremental yeah, test. Yeah. 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 Okay. Excellent. And um, so you got some good physical performance measures there. What about cognitive performance? Is that um, is that something you looked at? Because obviously with these sport and, sporting teams, the decision making and you know errors and all that are kind of um, impacting on performance so if there's like well particularly in rugby I don't know much, much about AFL but in rugby if you get knock-ons or you know missed tackles or you know those type of things there are errors that are going to affect the performance of the team did you look at any sort of cognitive function in, in these guys or performance 
Yeah, so we did some subjective measures, like your, your classic wellness measures and things like that with the team sport guys that we've worked with. Within the laboratory studies, we've also utilised the psychomotor vigilance testing. So for those who don't know, it's a, we've utilised a simple reaction time. So it's a device, a, a light comes on, and you press the button to respond to that light as quick as you possibly can. And it basically gives you a reaction time in milliseconds. We used a, a three-minute PVT as opposed to the, the longer versions of the test. Yeah. Um, the longer versions of the test have quite a high cognitive load, but they've also got quite a high participant commitment uh, in terms of we tried to do immediately, the day immediately following the, the exercise bout that we put our guys through, we got them to do it every hour throughout the day. And we found, every hour? Yeah, we did it every hour, so we might be able to see some sort of circadian rhythm changes yeah. following the exercise and that type of stuff. And then we did um, a series of PVTs, what they're shortened down to, PVTs uh, each day following the exercise bout. So we should be able to get a really good understanding of not only how different amounts of sleep have helped them physiologically recover, but we're also looking at that, um, I guess, cognitive function, and that's sort of being assessed through the PVT. Yeah, because I noticed in your in your studies today, there wasn't um, any sort of major standout in physical performance for sleep extension, um, and I was kind of thinking about the cognitive stuff, and when we look at um, other studies in military, um, and we've discussed this before, in military that it takes up to four weeks to see an effect on physical performance, um, but we see cognitive decline after even 17 hours um, of wakefulness. So, you know, maybe you know that's where we should should look also as well. And I think um, the decision making around um, around uh, around teams is vital for athletes as well. You know, um, you know, in terms of the strategy. So it's an interesting thing to have the performance measures balanced against cognitive and physical. The, the other question I wanted to ask as well, Nathan, is all these measures are awesome and they're great to do in a lab, but, and this is not a criticism, but it's a, more of a kind of a challenging question. How does that relate to performance on field or does it have any relationship? It's the big question. Yeah, it's a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a really, really hard question. I think one of the biggest issues when we're looking at actual performance is what, what is performance? Is it match outcome? Yeah. Is it meeting KPIs? Is it coaches' votes? Is it, I mean, I know the AFL utilise a player ranking system or the champion data points that people might be aware of or super coach points if guys are interested in that on a, on a weekly basis. But, I mean, is that our criterion measure of performance or is it winning? Is it is it meeting a coach's demands? Because, especially in Australian rules football, we have certain positions who don't accrue high possessions. They don't touch the ball much. They might they might run more than anyone else. But their job is, um, I guess, for, for lack of a yeah. better word, is a lockdown player yeah. or what we call them a tagger. Yeah. They may not actually get high coaches vote. Oh, sorry, not coaches votes. They might not get those high super coach points or those high champion data points. But they might have been the most important player on that field that day. And so I think performance is really, really hard to quantify. And I think that there are some people out there that are doing some really, really interesting statistical modelling of performance and predictors of performance. Um, so in terms of how does our how do our results relate to the real world? For me. As a, in a, with a background in SNC and obviously a background in sports science, I'm interested in can I improve the physical parameters that are important for performance or things that may help improve performance from a physical perspective and even from a cognitive perspective when we're looking at sleep. So can we improve their ability to make decisions quickly? Can we improve their, their ability to make the right decisions? To me, I think that's an unexplored sort of avenue of sleep at the moment in and around sports performance. We've seen some stuff following naps and that latency period in reaction time following naps and the longer the nap, the greater the latency period. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we've seen a lot within sporting populations or at least athletic populations looking at how sleep is influencing their ability to make decisions. Uh, and I think that's a really important avenue that could get opened up moving forward. 
Yeah, you pointed out today, Nathan, as well, and quite rightly, that most of the studies done around sleep are about sleep restriction, and it's been basically kind of a, the medical world focus. And um, I've said in this podcast before that sleep research is pretty new still. It's really only, you know, really increased since, well, really kind of started up since the 60s or 70s where we see a big spike in research. And the last 10 years, it's just really taken off. So there's still a lot to do. But most of it has been about restriction and the effect of that restriction on performance, big cognitive type tasks like the PVT, like you, you spoke about. But this whole new frontier about performance and, and, and sort of how it affects it. And that's why I was really interested in asking you the question because... The good thing about that is you've come to the same conclusions I have and it's the same battle I'm having in, in, you know, in terms of questioning myself or when people ask me, what is performance? And particularly in rugby union as well, or combat athletes, it's really difficult to, to kind of find out what is that, you know, what is that improvement, you know? Because a, a combat athlete, for example, a judo guy might get off the mat and go, I lost that, but I, I performed the best I ever have. But there's micro movements there that we're not even realizing that's happening. Um, feedback loops that's coming on there from the other, from the other judoka. In rugby union, like in AFL, you've got these pressure players or wing forwards that are tackling and putting pressure on. The props in the rugby union field don't get much accolades because they're big guys just, you know, trudging around the field. But if you don't have them there, you know, the strategy's gone. So I think it's, I think it's a really interesting area to look at um, in terms of around performance. Um, so Nathan, you've done all this work with this AFL team. Um, how was it received by the AFL team from the management and by or the coaches management, when we call them this? And, and the players. Um, how did they receive it and what did it do differently, if anything? Yeah, and I mean, to continue on from your point, I think with the previous research all being focused around restriction and deprivation, it's always been assumed that if less sleep was bad, then more would be good. Yeah. It's always, that, it's always been that assumption and I think that hopefully some of the research that's coming out now and some of the research that I'm doing is actually showing, well, is it, is it better or is, is, is more better or is optimal the best? And what's optimal for each individual, I think, is yeah. different. Um, in regards to the stuff that we did with the athletes, we, we ran some education programs um, and we identified a few things that we thought we could improve the players, especially in around like sleep hygiene or sleep practices and things like that. Um, educated them on maintaining a regular schedule, um, taking their bedding with them on away trips, whether that's a pillow, whether that's you know, a specific doona or, or whatever, whatever it is. Um, educated them around the use of air conditioning within hotel rooms, especially during yeah. travel and having that body of water prevalent within the room so that you don't dry out. Um, they've been the, I guess, the most, the education that we've provided has been the most pertinent things. Um, there's also been a, a little bit of stuff. We, we looked at our training schedule and whether or not that was optimal. Um, we looked at quite a number of things in and around the, the younger guys and they're adjusting. Um, we did a little bit of work with our first year players in terms of some of these, you know, these are kids. Some of them have never lived out of home. Some of them have never made toast before. Some of them have never made their bed before. And then you're throwing them into a full-time AFL environment and hoping they cope. That's a fairly stressful situation and a lot of guys end up living with host families to help them adjust. So I think uh, a little bit of the information uh, was used to sort of forward inform our welfare guys in terms of saying, well, hey, make sure we look after their sleeping environment. And the AFL already do uh, an initiative where I think there is money available to first-year players so that they can actually go out and buy appropriate bedding in okay. their new locations. So that, and that's a really positive move that I think is AFL-wide. So a bit like a GoFundMe campaign. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, whoa, that wind. <laughs> um, okay, that's 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 really interesting. Um, the the other question I had for you, Nathan, was the Bulldogs. I'm not a big AFL fan, but they did recently win the Premiership. What what year was that? Was that last year? So and they're sort of the current champions, and you were working with them at this time. Yes. Do you think there's any relationship with that? 
<laughs> I would say yes. If I was you, I'd say yes. <laughs> uh, I'd love to say yes. Uh, you just did. <laughs> I, I'd love to say yes. I'd love to say that we all play our part in performance. And this is a diplomatic me coming out. Uh, it's so multifaceted. Yeah, pat on the back. I'm giving everyone a big, a big up here. Um, the the performance program, the high pro, high performance stuff, the coaching stuff. Everyone at the Western Bulldogs are fantastic people to work with, and they are at the peak of their game at the moment. Yeah. We had a, an amazing last four weeks of the season last year. Um, I think we we're the first club to ever win it from seventh. I mean, we finished seventh during the home and away season, um, and they're a really young group. I think that's what made it so special for me was I think that the mean age of our playing group was quite low compared to a, a large proportion of the competition. Yeah. And their ability to perform in high-pressure high moments was absolutely key, and it was, it was amazing to watch and amazing to be part of. Um, I like to think I played my part, in, and whether that's a big part or a small part, that's uh, it's not up to me. Well, that's a great segue into the next part because the next part is um, when you finish your PhD, net in the next few months... What job do you want to do? <laughs> so for all you guys out there looking to recruit somebody, we have a, a championship sleep coach here. <laughs> championship sleep coach. Uh, yeah, look, hopefully. I mean, this is a, the, the question that faces every PhD student at some point in their life. Like, how far through are you? Um, or how long Enough. have you got to go? Are you not finished yet? <laughs> yeah. Didn't you start that four years ago? Um, yeah, no, look, I, I sort of am coming to the end of my PhD and sort of starting to, to write things up and put together that glorious document that we all strive for at the end of it. Um, the book of knowledge. Yeah, the, the bestseller. <laughs> um, but, um, look, going forward, I, I have a real interest in sports science and both strength and conditioning. Um, in combination with my role within the sports science, I guess, department at, at the Western Bulldogs and the connection with VU, I'm also the, the head strength coach for our VFL program, so our reserves program. Yeah. Um, so I've been lucky enough to be able to continue my work in SNC, which is something I've, I've done quite a lot of in the past. Uh, where to next? Who knows? Um, I'd really like to continue to work in the industry and work in applied sports science because I think I've, I've got a real passion for actually seeing the results in a real-time basis yeah. as opposed to sort of waiting that three years, doing that lab study, crushing that muscle in the biochem lab. It's, it's not my skill set. I think it's really important stuff and I think that we need to keep encouraging our greater understanding of human physiology but it's not where my skill set lies. So I'm hoping, yeah, st- stay applied, stay in the in, in the day-to-day of it, hopefully. Yeah, that's that's great, man. I, I'm in that same boat myself. I, I really like the, the stuff in the field, working with the industry or teams or whatever. I'm not really a person for the lab. Um, and it's, again, like, like you, it's not that I don't dislike it. I think it's important work, but it just does not excite me really, you know? I did one lab study and... Um, nearly two, uh, two actually. And I, yeah, I, I, I'm just, yeah... I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> um, so, Nathan, be, before you go, and before this wind blows us away, um, which sounds worse than what it is, but um, what's your number one sleep tip that you would give people out there for the general population? What's the number one sleep tip that you would give people? I think it's, it's about finding consistency. And I think it's about finding consistency in what works for you. Obviously, there are uh, athletes that get older and may have children and things like that. It no longer becomes about you. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you can't find something that suits you and something that works for you and I think um, a lot of people listen to what other people do and try and replicate it rather than finding what's ideal for them and that's, that's the number one challenge I mean we individualise all of our training modalities we individualise all of our training intensities and everything we're looking for is all individualised except sleep seems to be this blanket 
one size fits all kind of approach at the moment. And I think that's probably where we're letting guys down when we're giving them advice. We need to understand the individual and understand what works for them. And I think for me, that's gonna be the most important thing for any athlete or for any general population person. If, if you can find something that works for you and it actually helps you maintain a level of functionality that is where you want it to be at, then that's exactly what you've got to do. And I think you've got to, you've got to take an individualized approach to these things. As Nathan is talking, there's a massive German dog behind him. Some guy is walking out. I hope he doesn't eat us. So you can watch my back now, Nathan. He's gone behind <laughs> me. So my, my final question is, Nathan, what's your number one sleep don't? What should people not do? Very good question. Um, don't listen to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, do as I say, not as I do, probably, at the moment. The, the life of a PhD student working in, in high-performance sport, yeah, definitely do as I say, not as I do. Um, look, there's a whole lot of stuff around electronic devices. Yeah. And... I don't think it all lies within the light exposure. I think for elite athletes, it lies in what they're reading. If they're reading negative press, if they're reading coaches' comments, if they're you know, looking at you know, replays of their performance from the weekend and if they're not happy with that, all the light in the world or all the blue light filters in the world aren't going to help them sleep that night. So for me, it's, it's controlling what you're exposed to and when you're exposed to it, whether that's light or media or stressful situations from a working context. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably the, the biggest don't. Don't expose yourself to, to things that are going to potentially stress you out or things that could potentially disrupt your sleep when you're trying to get to sleep or close to when you're trying to get to sleep. That's probably my biggest thing. Excellent. Thanks very much, Nathan. So um, if people want to get in contact with you, uh, follow you on social media. I know you're on Twitter. Are you on any other thing like Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn? But, and we'll put all these notes into the sh- we'll put all this information into the show notes after the episode so people can get it but uh, if you want to just kind of maybe quickly run through the preferred method of uh, how you communicate with the, the world <laughs> yeah I've been fairly Twitter active over ECSS uh, <laughs> I've, I've actually tried to up my Twitter activity because I find it such a good medium um, so I think my handle is at Pitchford N I think it's, it's your handle not mine <laughs> I think yeah that's how that's how good I am at Twitter uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah look I'll, I can provide my email address and I'm also on LinkedIn if people want to contact me via LinkedIn more than happy to um, yeah, communicate with people Excellent thanks very much Nathan really appreciate you taking the time out to talk about your, your research it's, it's, it's really cool I wish you all the best in the future thanks very much thanks for